Welcome to episode one of the Secure Byproduct Podcast. As I said in the introduction last week, this podcast is all about information security and the practical ways you can defend yourself every day. So today, we'll be talking about our very first topics. As always, our podcast structure will be in the following format. We're going to spend the first 15 to 20 minutes talking about news in the information security world, hand-picked news that I think would be useful for anyone to learn. The second section will be listener feedback. Since last week was our very first podcast, just talking about how the podcast will be, we're not going to have any of that uh, in this podcast. And then the last 30 minutes today, we're going to be talking about home network security and what you can do to protect yourself at home on your home network. I do want to put a quick disclaimer out there. Despite whatever advice I give you, it's very possible that you could still get malware, anything could happen, but the advice I'm giving you is general security information and generally accepted ways to help defend yourself at home. So today, we're going to be talking about news uh, regarding ransomware. So for those of you who don't know what ransomware is, it's a specific type of malware. Malware is a class of software which is malicious. That's why it's called malware. Malware comes in a ton of different forms. I'm sure you've probably heard of some of them. There's Trojan Horses. That's a software that claims to be something good, but really ends up being something bad. It's like the Trojan Horse from uh, history. Time Bombs, that's a, a malware that goes off you know, at a specific time after a certain action. Some uh, good examples of this are insider threats. That's maybe someone sets up some code where it checks the HR system to see, you know, if that person is still hired. If if they find out that they're not still hired, the time bomb will go off automatically, destroy some systems, or delete some data. That's just uh, two examples of types of malware. Ransomware is another type of malware. And ransomware specifically, it's a malware that encrypts your hard drive, encrypts your data, encrypts all the data on your computer or on a server. Ransomware is specifically a type of malware that asks you for a ransom once your data is encrypted. For example, you may turn your computer on one day and there's a big splash screen there that says, your data is all encrypted. You must pay us in Bitcoin or through PayPal or maybe even call a phone number to try to get your data back. And what they'll do is they'll try to elicit money from you to decrypt all of your data. They try to use the encrypted data as kind of a noose to hang over your head to you know, make you panic and pay out the ransom. I never suggest to pay out a ransom if you're just a normal user. If you're an enterprise, that's a totally different story, something I don't want to get into. But if you are a normal user, you should never pay the ransom for a ransomware. What I highly suggest that you do, that we'll be talking about after I talk about some recent news stories, is be diligent with backups and antivirus. So... Ransomware has become a really big issue for a lot of enterprises and a lot of individuals. Uh, a, lot, a couple of years ago, there was a ton of different ransomware going around. One of them was like an FBI warrant, right? So it puts a big splash screen on your computer. It says, you are in trouble for having X, Y, and Z with the FBI. It has kind of an FBI warrant, and it even takes a picture of you using your uh, laptop uh, webcam to make it look like the FBI really wants you to pay out the ransom. So our news story today is about 
uh, a very recent ransomware campaign that actually happened over Christmas. It's a company. The company is called uh, the Heritage Company, and they actually shut down their entire operations before Christmas and laid off over 300 employees. You can look this up. The It's called the uh, Heritage Company. Look it up. There's an article on ZDNet. It's a telemarketing firm, and uh, they actually they were attacked by ransomware about two months before they shut down operations. So they were attacked in about October of 2019, and they were not able to effectively recover their IT systems, and they lost thousands and thousands of dollars because they weren't able to do any business. All of their data was encrypted, and a lot of their systems were affected by this. So around Christmas time, they laid off their entire company, essentially. So this is an example of an entire company going down because of ransomware. And the reason why is because their backup processes were not well tested. They did not have backups of their backups or backups of their backups of their backups or a hot site to transfer all their data to to automatically pick up operations or apparently really even cloud backups, which are widely available and used by enterprises today. So what you can really learn from this story and how to prevent ransomware affecting yourself is that backups is truly, truly the most important, most effective thing that you can implement. A normal user, I would highly suggest that you, if you don't have one today, go out and buy a backup hard drive. You can get them at Best Buy, you can get them at Walmart, you can get them at Target, all kinds of different places. That's really step one. I want you to take that hard drive and I want you to back up all of your data on your computer on a weekly basis. That's usually good enough if you get ransomware during the week, you know, you won't have too many documents that uh you know will be lost or you know you made too many edits to. So definitely try to take a backup once a week. And another thing that I highly suggest that you do is that even if you have a, a backup hard drive connected to your computer today, I highly recommend buying a second hard drive that you'll use for a monthly backup or maybe even a twice monthly backup. The purpose of that second hard drive is to not have it connected to your computer at all times. You're going to take a backup at one point in the month and just save that drive in a secure location where you'll be able to recover from if your other backup fails. It's having a backup for your backup. There's a Nice rule out there that I like to follow, it's called two is one and one is none. Having two backups is like having one backup. Having just one backup, you never know what's going to happen to a hard drive. It could fail after only a few weeks, it could fail after months, you, you're never quite sure. Or your backup hard drive could become full. So I highly recommend that you have two hard drives. Or if you don't want to backup uh, monthly with another hard drive, you don't want to invest like that, I also recommend taking at least all your critical documents, something that you work on every day. Just think about it. Just take a second. Think about what is the most critical thing that I work on every day. It might be a music file. It might be a certain Excel sheet. It might be, I don't know, whatever's most important to you. You can also choose to back those up on the cloud. That is also a, another good way to uh, have a monthly backup, you know. Save that file up to the cloud. Use OneDrive, Google Drive. There's tons and tons of services out there. Some of them are free. Some of them are uh, paid services. Just do your research. Uh, the only bad part about a cloud storage is that you might not be able to save an actual like full Windows image. For example, 
if I had a backup hard drive attached to my computer and my entire computer failed, you can you can use like a Windows image or a Windows recovery disk to uh, easily recover back to an entire full Windows image. If you're just saving documents or you know slideshows up to the cloud, then they'll be available. Uh, but you'll probably have to uh, get a new Windows image or take your computer into a local repair shop to uh, get it re-imaged. If you really want to dive into the topic of redundancy and backups, a couple of concepts that you should really look into that are core uh, fundamental con concepts for redundancy. One of them is RAID. R-A-I-D, all capital. That stands for Redundant Array of Independent Disks. What RAID is, it's basically different configurations where you can take multiple hard drives or, you know, multiple any storage device uh, so that you have full redundancy. There's different types of RAID that allow for partial redundancy, full redundancy. Just go look into the concept. You can really dive deep into what RAID is and understand a really critical and core uh, redundancy function for, for storing any type of data. Um, another thing to look into if you're curious is uh, NAS, Network Attached Storage. This is a way to basically have a storage area that's in your uh, home network where you can store your critical documents or store some backups uh, where it's not directly tied to your computer. Uh, that's another thing to look into. There's tons of different types of NAS, all at different types of prices. You can use those to store critical files. So again, things I recommend for avoiding ransomware is number one, backups. You want to have a, a redundant hard drive to have backups on a weekly basis so that you're getting you know those weekly changes in documents. And then maybe even another hard drive where you're storing your monthly backup, right? Or, or you can use some cloud storage solution to, you know, upload your documents to the cloud so that they're always up to date. You don't have to worry about it. That's an easy way as well. Um, but if you really want that full Windows image, easy recovery if your entire device is a goner, I would highly recommend having the physical hard drives. The second thing that I really recommend for avoiding ransomware is a good antivirus. There's tons of programs out there. It's, I mean, you can look it up. There's free versions of uh, antivirus like Windows Defender, or uh, some versions of Avast. I mean, there's tons of paid ones. McAfee, uh, Semantic, Antivirus. Just go look. That's very critical for just keeping bad software off your computer, making sure you're not getting any different types of malware. That's just a basic function that you should really have on all of your devices, your Android devices, your iOS devices. A lot of companies now, they make uh, Antivirus has multiple devices including the membership you usually pay like a hundred bucks a year or 99 bucks a year and you can include your antivirus on up to five devices so just look into the options there antivirus is obviously a really good way to avoid any type of malicious software and I highly recommend installing that as well so now this segment would be normally reserved for uh, listener questions. Again, if you have listener questions, please email me at securebyproduct at gmail.com. If you have any questions about RAID, about NAS, other things that you can do in your home uh, to protect yourself from ransomware, just let me know. I'll be happy to uh, look into those topics or to clarify any questions in our next podcast next week. So now we're going to talk about home network security, and this is a really big topic. 
home network security is really important because that's like literally the backbone of your entire security posture. And most people really don't give any consideration to their home network security. They plug their router into the uh, wall from their ISP, like Nestream or uh, Spectrum or whoever you have, um, and they just assume it's secure. But a lot of those routers are really, by default, not very secure. So I just want to go through a few different steps of what you can do to uh, really increase your security. So the first thing to do is to go to a web browser and type in 192.168.0.1. Depending on your home network configuration, that might change. If you need other information, look up your router configuration or specific uh router if you need to but usually that is uh, your router address 192 period 168 period 0 period 1 that will bring you to like a little login page usually and your username and password almost 99% of the time on those things is admin admin highly secure um, there's actually a published list of uh, credentials out there so you can actually look up your entire router uh, uh, model online and you can find the default credential uh, very easily with a very quick Google search if it's not admin admin uh, about 90% of the time it usually is so once you log into that portal you'll probably be brought to a splash screen with a ton of different options one of the very first things I, I highly recommend doing is changing that default admin password make sure you remember that as well uh, change it to something secure with you know some capital letters, symbols, or a passphrase. Um, definitely something better than admin admin. If you want to, you can also usually change the username if you don't want your username to be admin. Um, but definitely make sure that you change that default password. So how you go about changing that default password once you're into that portal, uh, there's usually a section that says administration or security. Um, it'll say like set password, so you click set password under administration. Uh, you set your new admin password, and it'll probably restart your router, and you'll log back in to the admin portal with admin and your new password. Remember, it's 192.168.0.1. The next thing to do that I really like to do um, is to change my default wireless password. So if you go to like a setup or you know, basic, um, you'll be able to select wireless and see what your current passphrase is. Um, there should be also security options there, such as WPA2, PSK. PSK means pre-shared key. Basically, all that means is that you have one password or passphrase that um, is used to connect to your wireless network. I definitely recommend using at least WPA2, PSK. Again, that means you have a, a certain password and you need to use a long password. I'd say at least uh, 10 to 15 characters with symbols, uppercases, lowercases, uh, a very complicated passphrase so that other people can't guess what your uh, your passphrase is to connect to your wireless network. Um, some other things, uh, WPA2 Enterprise, obviously only worry about that if you're an enterprise, an actual company. Um, if you want to look into wireless networking, definitely look up what WPA2, PSK is, some wireless uh, standards like uh, IEEE. You'll understand a lot more, um, you know, 
what net what wireless networking is and what your various options are. Look up, for example, WEP is Wired Equivalent Privacy, and uh, it's been kind of deprecated. You should learn why it's been deprecated. Um, WPA, learn why the original WPA has been deprecated. There's various reasons and tons and tons of articles about that. So after you've set up a strong wireless passphrase, and make sure you can still connect uh, your devices. If you have a device already connected to your wireless network without an Ethernet cable, you're definitely going to lose your connection after you change your password. You'll have to update it on all your devices. The next thing that I really recommend people do that I think is uh, really awesome that they have in a lot of uh, home routers these days is DNS. So look up what open DNS is. DNS stands for domain name service. Basically what the domain name service is, this is how the internet runs uh, every day. So for example, when you type in www.google.com, that takes you to a web server, which actually has an IP address, a public IP address that's uh, accessible to you. Obviously for humans, it's much easier for us to remember things like google.com or facebook.com or myspace or gmail.com uh, as opposed to memorizing IP address ranges like 192.168.0.1, right? It's much uh, more user-friendly to remember uh, a website by you know, google.com, something, you know, memorable. So that's what the domain name service is there for. It basically translates an IP address into a human readable text, something that, you know, you can remember, like google.com. But there's something for your router uh, that you can configure uh, called OpenDNS. And basically what OpenDNS is, it's a list of different categories that are allowed onto your network. This is great for kids, great for limiting what websites are allowed to be visited on your home network. You can sign up for an account on OpenDNS and then you can uh, uh, put that account username and password into your router in a lot of cases. It's usually under uh, like advanced uh, parental controls or uh, under advanced uh, blocking sites. Um, so you'll, you're able to put your username and password in there uh, for OpenDNS and then you go to your OpenDNS profile and you can pick specific categories that are blocked. For example, if you don't want your kids to be able to make it to see things about firearms or say por pornography or torrent websites, uh, you can block those categories at the network level so that when they're in your home network, you know, browsing the web, they won't be able to get to those uh, bad websites. Another good thing to implement on your home router that I always do is access control. So this allows you to allow or block new computers from connecting to your network. Uh, so for example, in my home network, if I was to connect a new device to my network, it would actually ask my permission first. So I know every time that a device is connected to my network and I'm allowed to block or allow that device onto the network. That is also usually under advanced security. Usually it's called access control. You turn that on, um, you can set an access rule to say block all new devices from connecting. Um, so when a new device that you maybe aren't familiar with gets connected to your network, you're actually able to review that and you know approve or deny based on that. So that does cause a little bit of a problem that I want to get into next. Um, whenever I have guests over, friends, family, they all want to use your Wi-Fi, right? 
everybody lives off the internet. Everyone enjoys some nice Wi-Fi. Um, so what I do is I actually have a guest network on my uh, device. So usually that's on the you know basic setup tab. You can set up an entire guest network and uh, set it as a completely different wireless ID and uh, with a completely different passphrase. So I definitely recommend uh, enabling that as well um, because if you have your device with a bunch of access control and controls around controls around it on your network, when a guest comes over and tries to connect to your Wi-Fi, you're going to go through a pretty long process of approving, denying. Um, some routers actually have like a uh, application for your phone where you can control it from, but mine in particular really does not. So whenever I have a guest over, I just have them connect to uh, my guest network, and I actually just put the passphrase for the guest network on a sticky note on my uh, uh, table or whatever so that my friends and family are able to go in and connect and they'll be on a completely different network. Uh, so another reason why I talk about these guest networks and things like that is you should try to segment your home network. There's a couple of uh, tools out there but you can also use like the guest network. Uh, what I usually do for any Internet of Things devices like say my Alexa devices or say you know smart Wi-Fi switches smart light bulbs anything like that I put those things onto the guest network so that they aren't affecting my other devices a lot of IOT devices just like your router that I'm talking about where you have to do all this configuration you have to do all this setup right um, those are also pretty much uh, not secure they're usually just about as secure as the router that I'm talking about here where you had to go in and do all these configurations. So I try to keep those onto my guest network so that I have some network segmentation. If I really wanted to, you can also create multiple guest networks. You could have guest network one that is used for maybe like a two, 2.4 gigahertz uh, band. Uh, you could use that for like your IoT devices that don't really need a lot of heavy data lifting. For your, your actual guests who might be using uh, the internet for streaming video or anything like that. You could use the 5 gigahertz network for uh, guests that come in so they have a better experience. Um, so that's some things to consider. Most most wireless routers these days will allow you to have uh, two guest networks and at least one uh, normal network, maybe even two, uh, at least in different uh, bands. So usually you have a 2.4 gigahertz band and you have a 5 gigahertz band. You want to learn more about those and what the difference is just go look it up don't be afraid of googling things to understand it would be like 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi network what's the difference with a 5 right you can always go learn this kind of stuff I want to encourage you guys to really take the time and learn some of these concepts um, so some other things that you can do for your home network um, you can set up a VPN that's uh, something interesting to do. There's a lot of cool little tools. Uh, for example, uh, there's like Pi VPN, which you buy a little Raspberry Pi and you utilize that as a VPN. What the VPN does is if you're on an unsecured uh, Wi-Fi network, like say a Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or something like that, uh, you can actually... Uh, phone home back into your own network access to your own devices and it can also be encrypted so that helps to uh, conceal some of your traffic when you're on 
a uh, unsecure Wi-Fi network. For example, tons and tons of enterprises use that so that you can work from home or you can work from anywhere, right? You can get into the corporate network using a VPN. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network. It's basically a uh, encrypted tunnel from wherever you are in the world to your enterprise or to your home network. So something I definitely recommend for you power users out there who really want to take this even a step further, uh, look up Pi VPN. There's tons of different VPN service providers. Um, Pi VPN is a really easy custom one to set up uh, using a Raspberry Pi. Uh, so that pretty much summarizes all of the things that I have to say about home network security. Again, if you have any questions or you want to learn more about uh, you know, how to set up some of these things, again, email me at securebyproduct at gmail.com and I'll be happy to answer and answer some of your questions um, in our next podcast. Speaking of our next podcast, I think that next week we're going to go through some news regarding phishing, some recent phishing attempts that have been successful. Um, if you've never heard of phishing before, basically that is attempting to get you to click a malicious link through email. We'll talk about some uh, news surrounding that. And then our topic of the day, I think next week, is going to be strong passwords um, and multi-factor authentication. So if those topics interest you, I'm looking forward to listening next week. Again, if you have any questions, please email me, uh, securebyproduct at gmail.com. I'll see you guys all next week. Bye.